Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Star Wars Bookworms. Enjoy. Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. So when you need a snack, where do you go? Do you go to the convenience store? Do you go to Walmart? Like, if you just want a snack real quick and you don't am want I, to go to the grocery store. Am I or at like, home or am I at work? Uh, you're at home because it's a snow day. I, I guess if I don't have anything in the house, I go to the local Wawa, which is basically like <laughs> the local gas station. Do you guys have Wawa? Oh, no, in not in Texas. No. We're way cooler than that. In... We had Wawa's in Florida, and it made, I just, I about died. <laughs> because of the like, name? What or... the heck is a Wawa? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, it means like goose or something. But, um, yeah. Wait, what? The word Wawa, I think it's like. Uh, that sounds like a baby trying to say water. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's Native American for goose. I, I don't know, Google it. But, yeah, I'd go to the, because there's one close to my house. Or there's, there's a Wendy's close to my house, so maybe I'd go to Wendy's. Wendy's isn't snack food. I'm talking like snacks. Snacks. Yeah, I'd go to Wawa. Well, what would you get out of said Wawa? I don't know. Chips? Beef jerky? <laughs> Beef jerky. They have these like pretzels, like stuffed pretzels that I like with the cream cheese in them. Mm, Where's this going? <laughs> Where's it going? It's just, I'm just thinking about it. Cause oh. <laughs> I, went to the, I went to the store because I needed snacks like yesterday and I got sour punch bites. Oh, so that's just candy. And they're candy. really good. <laughs> that's not a snack, that's candy. It's still a snack. It's like a snack. I probably, my go-to snack is kind of like Gardetto's corn nuts cheese it's kind of thing mm. yeah but i really wanted sour punch bites and i got sour punch bites see for me i usually keep my house pretty well stocked with snacks so i don't usually have to go anywhere and it's usually mm. chips like I, I like to just pull up a bag of chips and just kind of eat them here yeah but like what kind of chips because i have a feeling we differ on the kind of i chips. know we differ on chips but usually it's just like regular tortilla chips we have in the house like with no no salsa nothing yeah, just nothing chips. i just grab a bag of chips that's and start eating weird. out of the bag. Or cereal is my other thing. I'll get a bowl of cereal if I need a snack, especially on the what weekend. What about just eating dry cereal? Uh, yeah, Maybe. I'll do that. Like what cereal? Uh, Captain Crunch, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. See, I can't really do Cinnamon Toast Crunch because it gets all over your hands, you yeah, know? Yeah, it's messy. But like Honey Nut Cheerios are good. Mm. Um, Life cereal is really good, like just dry by itself. Anyway... You are listening to <laughs> Star Wars Bookworms number 86. Wow. We're almost to 90. We're like four episodes away from 90. Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy. 14 away it, from 100. I know. Wow, we can do math. We can get Hooray! there. Well, it's just, it's January. We have a year. I could say so we, we can knock out 14 episodes this we year. We probably do 100. I, you know, here's a goal. I don't know if it's a feasible goal, but what if we were able to do like get to episode 100 by this summer? We're really bad at accomplishing our goals, so we are. I don't, <laughs> I don't want to set a goal. I Let's don't not do set it. that goal Mm-mm. by the Sounds... end of the year. I think we can we can make that. I, a promise. I don't even think we should set that goal. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just not set goals. <laughs> no goals for us. But on this episode, we are covering three very awesome, big, heavy books, and they're really cool but very heavy. 
Especially if you carry them in a stack all together like I did a minute ago. They're big and unruly, too. Yeah. They're, they're all hardback. I'm trying to, like, flip through And you have to take them. off their their covers, really. Yeah. This, the, the dust jacket. The dust looks, jacket. I think for all of them, they... Well, no, the Art of Book, it's different. But the, the two DK books, the dust jacket just looks exactly like the actual cover. Right. So. Which is cool. Yeah. All right. So what order are we doing these in? I think we should start with the incredible cross sections. Alrighty. So the one I haven't taken its dust jacket off. <laughs> Take it off. Take it off. Get to the book. <laughs> Alright, so we are gonna be talking about The Last Jedi, Incredible Cross Sections, and the Dust Jacket is off. Uh its publisher is DK. It was written by Jason Fry, and the illustrator is Kemp Remillard? Remillard. And these, this book was released on December 15th, 2017. Uh, I'll read this one so you can read Art Of, because I know you love the Art Of books. So the publisher summary is a fantastic hardcover book that goes inside, literally, to show the inner workings of 13 vehicles from the upcoming movie, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Each vehicle is full color, complete with callouts to all of the pertinent features of each ship accompanying comprehensive text make this one of the best reference guides for the new craft in the Star Wars galaxy. And... This is a really cool book, but I will preface it with, like, ships and stuff aren't really my jam. But I did find some cool stuff I liked in here. Just saying. Yeah. Yeah, and we've talked about before how we are big fans of the reference books. So we're going to be doing yep. three different reference books, which, if left to our own devices, we would take hours to uh, kind of get through these to talk about them. But we're going to try to pare it down and just pick out some of our favorite things that we found in all three of these books. Yep. The other thing to keep in mind... And I think this is probably a moot point by now, but just in case, we are going to be talking about all things The Last Jedi in all three of these books. So if you haven't seen it yet, you probably want to avoid listening to this because we're going to be talking spoilers and, and such. Yep. So for the for the Incredible Cross section specifically, um, what was your first thing that you found that you wanted to uh. Oh, here's and also here's something for our listeners. We have not told each other what our things are. <laughs> so as you find out, so do we. Uh, do I want to go first? I guess I can go first. I'll go first. That's fine. That's fine. All right. What page? <laughs> okay. Uh, so you're going to page 12. 12. I have one on page 12, too. Oh, no. <laughs> See, I just kind of picked pages. <laughs> not specific We may overlap things. on some of these things because, yes, we did not compare notes, but this will be fun. So what did you pick okay. about the Resistance Bomber? I just picked the Resistance Bomber. The whole deal. <laughs> <laughs> well, so for me, since, like, I don't really, you know, know a whole lot about the ships and stuff, reading all the things about the ships, like... It's cool, but I don't really understand a whole lot of it. So I sort of picked three of the things that like stood out the most to me. So the Resistance Bomber stands out to me a lot. For some reason, I keep liking the Resistance Bomber and things about the Resistance Bomber. And like the more I think about it in The Last Jedi, that scene was like super impactful for me, and I like absolutely loved it. And so I don't know. There's something about the bomb, the bomber itself. But I there were a couple things I did read. Um, so it has 1,048 bombs, which is really, really cool. Wow. And then 
There was something else. <laughs> I just like the way it looks. <laughs> uh, so that was the main thing. There's a lot of bombs in it. I also read the thing at the top where it says it talks about uh, the like mercy missions and like them getting the bomber ships and all the stuff and like how these bombers and the people that were in the bombers were like would do anything to protect the resistance and like all this stuff and that's just so cool yeah this one they do move very slow though this did actually make my list of things to point out as well just because um the resistance bomber is one of the one of the things that people like to nitpick about the last jedi Mm -hmm. when it comes to like you know the physics of what can happen in space and you know thing bombs shouldn't be able to fall in space and whatnot So I like how these books, and this actually carries over into the visual dictionary as well, both books touch on this, but they kind of, you know, for those type of people that like to nitpick, there are explanations, you know, which Mm -hmm. if you read these books, they give you these explanations. So that's one of the things I really like about this page is it it talks about how the bombs work and the fact that they're, you know, magnetically propelled, so they're not necessarily falling in space, they're actually propelled toward whatever ship they're attaching to. So I I thought that was kind of cool. That's that's kind of what stood out to me. And the other thing is I only I thought there was only two people on the ships and because on the one with Paige it looked like that was just her left, you know, and and you saw the one guy that was dead, so I thought there was only two people, but there's actually five people per bomber. There's a pilot, a flight engineer, a bombardier and two gunners. Yeah. And I think Paige was one of the gunners. So, yeah, I think she, yeah, you're right. I think she was a gunner that had to basically go down and take the place of the guy that was supposed to to release the bombs, right? Yeah. So the whole inner workings of the thing looks really cool, and like the way the bombs are all in there is really neat. Um, and then the picture that we get in the incredible cross sections, you see like all five people. So I'm just like, wow, all five of her, her all four of her other um, people were dead. Yep. Except for her. That's insane. It's crazy. Okay, what's yours? Uh, so my first one, although that that would that one would have been my second one. So this is my first one. So we're going backwards now. Back to page eight, which is the Radis. Oh, yeah. And I think just because this is... I just really liked the fact that they, they named the ship the Radis. That's not its original name! Uh, right, which, you know, information like that you know is in here as well that it used to be called the dawn of tranquility yeah um, but i just thought you know and i think they do say radis in the movie but i didn't catch it the first time around mm. um so yeah I, I didn't catch it either the first time i saw it was in the visual dictionary and then here they go into a lot more detail about the ship but yeah i just thought that was really cool and they even say you know there's a paragraph here on the bottom left corner of page eight it says the Radis was named in honor of the Mon Calamari admiral who defied the nascent rebe- rebellions, political leaders, and took a ragtag fleet to Scarif. And then it goes on. But I just thought that was such a cool tie-in to Rogue mm-hmm. One um, to have a character like that that was so memorable from Rogue One, and then have his, his name carry over into the main you know saga as well. So that was that was a standout thing for me. Yeah. No, I really like the Radis. I also like that the fact. The Radis has two bridges, a primary command bridge and then a, like, emergency bridge. And 
So Leia, when she gets blown off the ship, it's from the primary command bridge, and where they're con- like doing everything for the rest of the movie is from the ventral emergency bridge. Ventral emergency bridge. Um, that that and, isn't as exposed to attack. So yeah, maybe they should sure. have been in that one in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> and I just like the fact that they were using a Mon Calamari ship, which is also really awesome. But, yeah, it's cool to see inside of it and to see where the escape pods are. So that's where Rose was. It has a little thing on the bottom of it, kind of like when Luke is hanging on to, like, a little skinny thing on the bottom of Cloud City. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) So what's your second one? So my second one is on page 40. Ooh. It's the Resistance Shuttle. <laughs> we get to see a bunch of You people get to see this. all the people. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, look, and there's all the people. There's Poe, and there's Kadel, and there's Ninub. There's somebody that looks like Ninub. And I just thought it was cool to get to see, like, the little shuttles that were flying down to Crate. Uh, although I don't know where Leia is, because I feel like she should be in this picture. But I feel like it's, like... um. Like, where's Waldo? <laughs> like, yeah, she... it does actually have a bit of a where's Waldo look to it. But no, I can't find Leia. Yeah, I don't see her. I do see General Emat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't see her anywhere. And she should be there because she's on the same shuttle pod as Poe. So, I don't know. A little bit weird. But they are formerly known as U-55 load lifters, which... So I want to know why they picked that name, or if there was a reason. They can hold up to 60 people, and there's two pilots and one engineer. Huh. Yeah, I'm curious now, because we know the U-Wing, and kind of why they, they name it that because of the shape, but now I am curious why this is U. U-55. U-55. What does that stand for? Maybe utility or... Something. Huh. Um, all right. Ready for my next one? Mm-hmm. So my next one is page 23, which is part of that big, like, fold-out. I knew you were going to pick that and make me have to open that. (laughs) (laughs) So the supremacy, and there was one specific thing I wanted to point out on this page, but I really like how this ship is so big that they had to actually make it into a big four-page fold-out. Yeah, right? Um, Which, the the really cool thing, because I'm kind of like you, I don't typically get into, like, the ship's... And, you know, the space battles and all that stuff in general. Um, and, like, knowing, like, all the technical stuff about ships. But I just like the the pictures in this book more. Like, just to mm-hmm. see the big ships, like, and actually see the cutouts where you can see the inner workings of, you know, what's all going on in there. And it gives you a good sense of scale, too. Because you, you realize how big some of these ships are based on, you know, what's going on inside of them. But specifically for this one on page 23, which is the far right page of the foldout, the part that's titled Mobile Capital, mm-hmm. I thought that was a pretty cool little fact there. And it says, despite entreaties from commanders and allies alike, Supreme Leader Snoke has refused to designate a world as his regime's capital, either in the sectors claimed by the First Order or the Unknown Regions, the First Order's future is not to dominate a lonely corner of the Outer Rim or rural worlds beyond the galactic frontier, but to restore the Empire's stolen domain and build upon its triumphs. Until that goal is achieved, the regime's capital will travel with its master. 
Until yeah, and it's masters. Off. It's masters ship can hold uh, eight star destroyers at once, six externally and two internally. That's crazy. I just That's thought it, I thought that was interesting because it it makes it pretty clear that they're still trying to accomplish, you know, what the they're trying to regain the empire, and they even refer to the empire like they're not going to feel like they're fully successful until they, you know, they're not they're not okay with just owning the outer rim they want to go and take over the you know the core the core worlds so yeah and its model is a mega class star dreadnought and it can have two million two hundred and twenty five thousand personnel holy Seriously. cow i wonder how many people Seriously? died on that holdo ram uh two million two hundred <laughs> there had to be some escape pods that some people got away yeah maybe 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 I mean, Ray got away, Finn got away, Rose got away, so some bad guys got away too, I'm sure. Sure. All right, so my last one is on page 42. It's the ski speeder, because these things were weird, (laughs) and like like pieces of crap. (laughs) I remember the first time I saw them in the trailer. And I was just like, those are really weird. And what's going on with them dragging the ground? And like, I just didn't think I would like them that much. But then once I saw them in the movie, I was like, oh, that's actually pretty cool. I thought I like how like Poe kicks the the floor panel out. Yeah, like, well, the it's because they're like, they're I like just... rickety old things. Yeah. So with this one, I like the monoski. That's cool. I also like that they name the dust on crate. It's rhodocrosite dust. That's what it's called, rotocrosite dust. And then it just feels, it's like a weird ship. It's so weird. It's like not balanced. I don't get it. I don't know. It's just weird and cool, but weird. Yeah, it's (laughs) almost like what's the purpose of it? I know. Well. Does it explain it? uh, So it says, for the ski speeder, it says, The resistance has a track record of making ends meet with surplus New Republic warship supplies obtained on the black market and carefully maintained equipment from the rebellion era but ingenuity gives way to desperation when a first order strike force uh corners the resistance on crete and then says the early empire witnessed a fad for asteroid slalom a sport in which competitors sped along the surface of small asteroids using them as springboards for high-speed turns and eye-catching stunts, the Verpine manufacturer Roche Machines produced the V4 series of ski speeders, which boasted ventral monoskis to keep the speeders anchored and boom-mounted holo- hollow cameras to record maneuvers. Unfortunately, an undetected stone mite infestation led to the devouring of several racers and their craft in the Orlean Belt Grand Slalom Finals. A tragedy watched... Live by a horrified galaxy, as bookings plummeted, Roche machines canceled production and sold off its inventory at slashed prices. So these were like wow. recreational vehicles; they weren't <laughs> meant to actually like fight anything. Wow! Bravo, Jason Fry, for digging into that backstory. That was <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> Not Way at to go, all Jason. what I expected. Um, I love the backstory, Jason. Yeah, um, and a nice little shout out to Legends there with the Verpine mention. Where would we have seen Verpine before for they're people just, who don't They've know. been all throughout Legends just as a, a race, a species, I believe, insectoid. Um, but yeah, I noticed a couple times in this book they talk about Verpine as a, one of the manufacturers. 
Yeah, so when the um, asteroid slalom craze was over, most of the Roche machine ski speeders were scrapped, but a few found unlikely second lives thanks to tinkerers in asteroid settlements. So, ta-da! Interesting. And the rebel techs attached laser cannons to the speeders' booms and added them as much armor as the lightweight craft could accommodate. So they basically made them into things that could shoot stuff. Nice. Way so, to go, resistance. Was that your last one in this book? Yep. Okay, because I actually had two more. Uh, okay. I'll, I'll so. do them real quick because the, the first one's actually on the same page as yours. Uh, it's mm. actually on 43 of the ski speeder. But I like the, the mention up in the top right uh, under family resemblance. Mm. I like the mention there how this is actually has some design similarities to the B-Wing. Yeah, I see, actually... and I thought they were B-Wings at first. When we first saw them in the trailers, I thought they were B-Wings. Yeah, and then they actually reference uh, Quarry, the the Mon Calamari oh, designer. Oh, I do. I hadn't read that. Who got to, uh, or who was the designer of the, the B-Wing. So I thought that was a nice little shout-out to Star Wars Rebels, nice. and we've also seen Quarry in Freemaker Adventures. So. Cool. And then the only the only other thing I wanted to point out was just on page forty six, they do a size comparison chart from oh, all. I missed that. The different big vehicles. Um, so that's kind of cool. How did miss this? <laughs> that's kind of <laughs> cool. So you can see, you know, how something you know, if you wanted to see a comparison between, you know, like a ski speeder versus a ATAT, you can kind of see that. So I like I always like the size cool. comparisons. Neat. Yeah, and that's pretty much it for uh, cross-sections. Cool. I like this. Look at how tiny the resistance ships are. (laughs) (laughs) That makes me feel so sad for them. All right, which one's next? I was thinking we could do Art of the Last Jedi next um, and then save the Visual Dictionary for last because I think the Visual Dictionary might be what we have the most to talk about. Although the art of, I have a decent list of things. I know we were supposed to only pick five each, so we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I have, I, have, I have six. I think I have 11, but I can go oh through them fast. Okay. <laughs> um, all right, so Art of the Last Jedi. This one is publisher Abrams Books, author Phil Zaztek, and this was also released on December 15, 2017. Step inside the art department of Star Wars The Last Jedi and experience the creation of fantastical worlds, unforgettable characters, and unimaginable creatures. Featuring content from the earliest gathering of artists and production designers at Lucasfilm headquarters in San Francisco, to the fever pitch of production at Pinewood Studios, to the conclusion of post-production at Industrial Light and Magic. So this book is amazing. And it says it's written by Phil Zaztek, which is true, but there's a lot of content in this book from a lot of the artists, uh, the visual, the concept artists. So there's a lot, you know, a lot of quotes from different artists, and there's a lot of quotes even from Ryan Johnson. Um, and Ryan Johnson even does the forward of the book. Mm-hmm, which I found very interesting. And this book as a whole is just, even if you're not into the art of Star Wars, which I don't know how you couldn't be because all the concept art, for any Star Wars film has just been amazing. Um, but well, just... I'm not really. No? I, right. you know, I, well, <laughs> oh, well I, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I don't 
I like the finished products of things. I don't necessarily always like to look at like the sketches that are done ahead of time, you know, or like what something was based off of or whatever, because it just doesn't matter to me really. So with these books, it's cool to see some of the stuff, you know, and you can skip over other things, but it's all the little pieces of information that are in here that make it almost like a making of The Last Jedi. Yes. Yeah. You know, that that stuff I find really super interesting. But sometimes it's a little confusing because the art that they put near those little chunks of text don't necessarily, like, match up sometimes. So, I think you just have to follow the little... They have, like, little indicators. Yeah. And you just it is sometimes hard to decipher which, which picture they're referring to. Um, but, yeah, I guess it's somewhere me and you differ because I actually really enjoy the concept phase of these films, and I really like to see kind of what might have been. Um, you know, there's different images of characters that just look completely different than what they ended up looking like in the movies and just kind of seeing, oh, that would have been cool if they did this or that would have been cool or I'm glad they didn't do that. Um, so, yeah, I guess we're different in that way. But, yeah, it does definitely read like a making of book as well. So if you're just curious about the making of The Last Jedi and want to get some insight into like what was going on in Ryan Johnson's brain as he was doing some of this stuff, like I've actually gotten a lot out of this book um, after seeing the movies and having my own you know issues with certain elements of the movie and then reading this book and kind of seeing where his mind was at and what he was thinking about and why he chose certain things. It's like, okay, like it, it makes a lot more sense to me now. So this is a highly recommend picking this one up if you're curious well, and about it's, that stuff. it's also not only that there's a lot of stuff in here that proves that they're still working off of lucas's original concepts for the trilogy because they have stuff in there that talks about that right yeah cool. some of this yeah some of this the his original concepts for the story actually have made it into these movies which is something that i don't think a lot of people realize yeah um, and just the collaboration i know another thing i've kind of noticed in this book because some people who are very critical of The Last Jedi have mm-hmm. been saying, oh, it just seems like Ryan Johnson just kind of wanted to do his own thing and, you know, kind of went against the grain and almost like a slap in the face of J.J. Abrams and all this stuff. And and then you read this book, and you're like, no, there was a lot of collaboration. There was a lot of people involved, in, including J.J. Abrams, in some of these story decisions. Um, so, you know, it's not like he just went rogue. <laughs> yeah, he <laughs> like did. Like a lot of people are trying to make it seem like. So, um, and I like that this book really covers the entire process of, of this film. So, very good insight. But we have specific things that we wanted to kind of point out. Um, and I guess I'll go first since you went first last time. Sure. I thought the, so on page 19. Uh-huh. This is the right. death of Han Solo and rebirth of the Jedi. One of the things that I thought was cool about this book is because the last, the art of the Force Awakens, did not include some of the concept art around like the death of Han Solo, because they didn't want to spoil that part of the story. Mm-hmm. So this book actually fills in some of that at the very beginning, so you get some Force Awakens stuff in here as well. But I liked um, they were talking about. Um, kind of where the story was going to go with Luke, and you can kind of see what what made it into the movie. But I'll just read here in the third paragraph. It says, Recounting the current version of The Force Awakens' backstory, uh, Chang continued, After Return of the Jedi, when the Empire fell, Luke went through a period of turmoil. He decides to reform the Jedi, Luke being the last. So he creates his own Jedi Academy and recruits people. One of Luke's pupils was the character then known as the Jedi Killer. Ultimately, he turns against Luke, 
There's a big fight, and the Jedi killer is wounded and cast aside. There's this big through line of the Jedi killer wanting revenge on Luke, and that's partly why he takes on the persona of Darth Vader to haunt Luke. So you can see kind of like where the original story idea was and then what actually it became later. And I just thought that was really cool, this idea of this Jedi killer that was part of his academy. And then that obviously morphed into becoming Kylo Ren, but it wasn't initially going to be someone that was even related to him um, who took on kind of the look of, of Darth Vader. And you can see in the concept art on that left page where you see Han falling, mm-hmm. you can kind of see the armor there that looks you know similar to Kylo Ren, but definitely different as well. So that, that whole paragraph I, had me really intrigued. Yep. And actually from where you were reading, going, continuing that, it says, seeing the remaining visualist designers, including, and they name a bunch of people, uh, said following in, I'm assuming they're talking about Doug Chang, in Chang's footsteps, in preparation for a January 16th meeting with Star Wars creator George Lucas at Skywalker Ranch. Among the pieces presented at the ranch's main house were additional portraits of Luke, the temple where he dwelled in exile, and the training of a young disciple, Kira, later renamed Rey. So, Lucas was there for that. Yeah, because this was like the earliest story concepts even before, um, you know, before Lucas sold to Disney, I believe. Mm -hmm. So, this is all very cool. And and like a second point, and since it's on this page, I'll go ahead and do my second one, um, is also on the fifth paragraph on this page, it actually talks about Michael Arndt and yeah. how he was going to have the entire first movie was actually going to be kind of more what we saw in the last Jedi mm-hmm. with like Ray finding Luke and Luke kind of having to come back to himself. But then Michael Arndt is the one that actually decided that that wasn't going to work as the first movie. And he wanted to push the discovery of Luke to the very end of the first movie. So I thought that was interesting to see that Michael Arndt who, ended up getting replaced by J.J. Abrams as a writer, um, still had a major influence in, you know, what the first movie and second movie entailed. Mm-hmm. So that was my first two things. <laughs> okay. Well, I have one to kind of add here. It's not on my list, but it's just because it is on the next page. It's Ray Kira's original first outfit, which was supposed to be an homage to Han Solo. So with the pants with the red stripe down the side and like a blue vest and stuff like that. What do you think about that costume? Uh, I don't like it. No. It (laughs) looks cool, but I'm glad they didn't go with that look. I think it's too much much of a She has her Ray Ray buns, though. Yeah, she does. Her Ray 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 buns. It's like she's wearing an (laughs) Apple Watch, too. (laughs) Right. And some Toms. (laughs) And some Toms. (laughs) Okay, so my first thing is actually on page 27. And it's the concept art for Kira and her training. And she's got all of, like, the the training doodaddy things. <laughs> I don't know what they're called. Uh, around her. And they're, like, floating around and stuff. And then there's this really awesome picture of her with, like, what looks like could be Luke and she has a lightsaber and everything and she looks really cool like ray looks awesome as kira or whatever this is and it would be she looks like a video game character so in the little story the little story they have on the side says rick carter brought in a stack of random stills from akira kurosawa directed films um which of course had huge influences on george lucas's filmmaker 
And it says they brought him to the visual, the first visualist meeting on January 9th, 2013 as a creative exercise. They handed the stack to Carrie Hart and asked her to select several that told the story of the force awakens in whatever way she thought best. The five chosen images were eventually painted by the concept artist to depict Kira slash Ray's journey through her training with Luke Skywalker. And so I think that's what these are. The nice. ones that she picked, the uh, the ones showing her training and stuff. And right on the page to the left, it's a concept that I'm glad they didn't go with, and that's bald Luke. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's weird. All right, so my next one kind of crosses multiple pages, but uh, starting on page 61, um, and this is where it starts talking about the, the Jedi books and, and the different oh, yeah. you know, the Jedi temple and stuff. And I really like that they, they kind of get into some detail here, as you can hear me flipping through pages to get to it. Yeah. Yeah. Move your book away from your mic, man. <laughs> it's in my lap. <laughs> um, yeah, so one of the things I thought was interesting is the infusion of the Rebel logo in a lot of this concept art. And mm. even to the point where they were actually going to have the tree like be shaped kind of like the top crest of the, the Rebel logo. Mm -hmm. um, and you see that all throughout the, the art of book. I'm kind of glad they didn't go that direction with things because I feel like I like the idea that the Rebel logo was kind of you know designed or had come up um, during the Rebellion and not something that had anything to do with the Jedi. So I thought that was um, a concept that although looks kind of cool, I'm glad they didn't decide to go with. But on page 63, they actually show concept work of different pages of the book, of the Jedi books, which I really thought was cool with this kind of ancient looking language and symbols and, and things like that and the kind of recognizable Jedi symbol with the wings and the kind of lightsaber up the middle. Um, I thought this whole page was really awesome. Yeah, no, I, I like the detail on that and on the books and on the pages, although I have no idea what any of that says. And that's not in Oribesh, so you don't know what it says either. <laughs> right. I don't think that's an established Star Wars language. Um, it has kind of reminiscent of Hebrew writing. But yeah, I don't know if those are actual characters from any any existing language. Well, and if you travel to the next page, here's some more like cool stuff where like the pool has the Rebel logo mm -hmm. or there's the... Um, the yin and yang different symbols and stuff as possible pull rocks and things, which were also kind of cool. Okay, so my next one, you have to go back to page 40. Hang on. I wrote the wrong page numbers down. 46 and 47. Uh, I saved this one for you. You did? Yeah, I almost, <laughs> I almost put this in down. I was like, no, she's going to do this. Yeah, so this is the porg page. <laughs> And it kind of goes through all of the different iterations of things they were thinking about with Porgs. So Ryan Johnson makes a comment about all the puffins were on Skellig Michael when we went for the pre-shoot in September. I forget who exactly had the idea, but you get the sense that all these things evolved from the same creature. So with the Porgs, I knew I wanted something puffin-like. So... Um, Lunt Davies says, we explored ideas that drew from birds, bats, flying squirrels, and aquatic creatures such as seals, otters, and beavers. And the sketch that caught Ryan's eye is the one that looks kind of like a penguin bird thing, sort of like what the porg looks like. 
And it's the all the other different iterations are so cute. Uh, the one that catches my eye the most, if you're looking at this book on the far right, no, far left side, on the top row, there's one that sort of looks like an otter, but with like webbed feet and flippers. <laughs> and I like that one. <laughs> That's my favorite porg. Is it the one that? The one next to the one that looks like a flying squirrel. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah, I see. To to the left of it. Oh, with like the furry face almost. Yeah, yeah. he kind of looks sort of furry. He was really cute. And then they do talk about, they thought about making a porg that mimicked Chewie's coloring. Yes. So, you to know. To be the was, one that like hangs out with him. Yeah, but they decided not to do that. And then you go to the next page, to page 47, and at the top they go through all the different porg colors. And I don't understand why they didn't go with the purple one. <laughs> <laughs> There's one that's purple and like turquoise and he's cute. Also the one, basically all of those are cute. <laughs> yeah, they have like this whole, like this line of six porgs at the top of the page. They're all very like multicolored, um, which they do look cool. But I, I think that that has more of a tropical look to it. Right. Whereas so he's a tropical porg. <laughs> Skellig Michael, you know, being the terrain it was, I think it worked for the color scheme they picked. Yeah, so uh, Lunt Davies also says they got the color options down to nine, which were painted up on foam versions by Creature Paint finish designer Henrik Svensson. Um, it came down to a choice between brown and white with orange flash and one um, with and one onto which I transposed the markings of my dog. <laughs> uh, it says it was agreed that the brown, white, and orange was the stronger look because as ever with Star Wars, being able to distill a design to its bare essence and still have it recognizable is the ideal. And then there's pictures of the porgs like ripping seats apart and being inside the Falcon. And then this very, very sad one where they're messing with the lightsaber and they impale one of the porgs like through the head with yeah. the lightsaber, which is quite disturbing. It's very disturbing. I, mean, I, mean, <laughs> I don't I, like it. <laughs> I mean, I've been critical of the porgs, but not even I would have enjoyed seeing something like that in the movie. No, um, no. And I know there is the scene at the beginning where the porgs are kind of playing around with the lightsaber and the one is like looking at, looking kind of down the barrel. Yeah. So it's so, like they, they played with this concept art. They just didn't actually just didn't, execute it. Yeah. They didn't go all Thank the way. Thank God. <laughs> But that that artist is Lunt Davies, who is yeah. the uh, the artist that's a a bit uh, porg demonic. Yeah, demented there. <laughs> uh, all right, so my next one we can kind of just hit really quick. I just thought um, it was interesting, but page eighty one and page eighty two, which this is another. We were talking about the concept art of of bald Luke Skywalker, and they actually have concept art of bald. Uh, Kylo Ren. Much which better. I, which is interesting looking. I don't know. I'm glad they didn't go with that concept, but I thought that was No, uh, I funny. like that better than weird hair Kylo Ren. Really? You like bald better than the long hair? Yeah, I don't I don't like long hair on guys in general, so... <laughs> I just don't know if he has the, the facial structure for a bald look, but okay. Oh, I don't um, know. I'm not really thinking about it too hard. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they have that, but then on the very next page... They actually did some concept art of different uh, students that could have been at Luke's Academy, which um, they all look either teenager or younger, which it's cool to see that they were thinking of, you know, what different characters could have been there. But I'm also glad that they didn't actually show any characters there because that would have been 
I think even more tragic, kind of like uh, Anakin killing the younglings, like to to know that Kylo Ren killed you know some characters that were so young. Um, well, we know he did. We know he did, but we didn't see them, and that kind of helps because mm-hmm. here in the concept art, you get to see like very distinct, you know, four different characters along with a young, you know, Ben Solo, which appears much younger in the concept art here than he does in the movie at mm-hmm. that scene, but. All right, so my next one is 112 and 113, and this is, like, the in-depth look at Paige and Rose's medallions and, like, the different pendants and stuff. So mostly 113. And they say in here, uh, the initial brief as per the script was to design a two-part pendant that would be split between Rose and her sister. Story-wise, that developed into two identical pendants, one for each sister, but the yin and yang aspect led the design. Set decorator Richard Roberts suggested some Celtic reference that influenced one design, which quickly became Ryan's favorite, and that design sort of stuck. And you can see some of the different designs they went through, like a split-in-part, like, rebel symbol and, like, some other weird thing uh, that looks like, I don't know what, (laughs) pendant version one. And then, but what they ended up going with is pretty cool. Yeah, But they ended up, and this is just a rose pendant version number one, but the actual one is they are identical uh, pendants. They don't necessarily fit together, uh, I don't think. The actual one they went with? Yeah, well, it says that. I think it's the on the bottom right of 113. I think that is the... No, that's not the the final one, because the final one, rose and page is each, it's in the visual dictionary. They both have a round piece. Oh, it doesn't have uh, the... Okay. Oh, okay. So another really quick one, uh, page 93. I like that they included the like a written um, alphabet. Oh, yeah, I did see that. For like Corellian, possible Corellian. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess because this doesn't actually appear anywhere other than a, a visual guide, or not even a visual guide, it doesn't appear anywhere other than a art of book, that it's not canon, but... Right. I thought the idea of uh, alphabet that um, that looks like this. I like how it's not as sim like because the arabesh is really cool, but it's very distinct symbols. And I like how this is kind of more handwritten looking. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, oh, this could make this could make for some cool tattoos too. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> All right, so one seventy five. Phasma. Oh, phasma, yeah. So it's kind of, it's actually like 175 and 176 because it talks about her armor and everything. And just after reading Phasma and learning about how she went about making her armor and everything, I think this was really cool. And they do have a piece that says, we did a version of Phasma where some of the eyepiece still remains, a ring you can see her eye through. And Ryan said no. He wanted it to be more open. He wanted to see the femininity a bit more clearly, like when she gets her face slashed up. Right. Um, so that's kind of cool. And like this whole, there's like a whole page that talks about the unmasking of Phasma and all of that stuff. Uh, so it's, it's just kind of cool. <laughs> so I can go, I can actually kind of combine my next few because they're, they kind of all cover the next, the same subject. But on page 111, they talk about how um, in the original story, Poe was supposed to be going with Finn to Canto Bite. 
and then they decided that that wasn't going to work for the ultimate story that they wanted to tell, and then they introduced the idea of, a, of Rose as a character. So I thought that was a kind of an interesting fact that the movie could have looked a lot different, obviously, if they had stuck to that original plan to have Poe and Finn hanging out the whole movie. <laughs> but um, other things like story differences uh, related to Canto Bite, they, they also had the idea of Finn and Rose not going to the casino in their like kind of um, resistance garb, but actually getting dressed up in like a nice gown and, and a suit. And they have some they have some uh, art on page one thirty showing kind of what they could have looked like, and I thought that was interesting as well. That they I actually would have liked that if they had done something like that to give them new new costumes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it would have just I don't know it would have helped that that whole sequence. I think it would have helped that overall scene like so much better yeah i so, wish they had done that <laughs> after seeing the concept art i was like oh that's too bad they didn't go that direction with it um and then the master code breaker is the <laughs> other thing that that he was supposed to be a much bigger part of the story and right. they, they have a lot um page 139 through 140 they talk about um how they were actually supposed to meet him and have conversations with him and they were going to kind of like escape the police together and and then he he does eventually get caught, and then they get thrown in prison. But there was going to be a lot more with that character, so that was uh, that was kind of cool to see as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so my next one is on page one ninety five. So we're back to resistance bombers, <laughs> <laughs> but specifically to the picture that's called that says magna bombs. And it's like the bombs painted, and one of them says "Hi Snoke" in Arabesh, and one says "Han says hi" with a smiley face, and another one is like, just has like a smiley face on it. <laughs> Stupid. That was actually one of mine from the the Visual Dictionary. Oh, they have the same image without. Well, the, I know that's coming up. That's, hush, <laughs> we're still going there. Okay, so there's that, and then my last. Do you have any more? Uh, I think I have two more. All right. Well, I'll get my last one out of the way. It's at the very back. It's 242 uh, to 244. And it's in the area they call Binary Sunset. But it's all about the foxes. And, like, the early design for the fox. And then, like, the, you know, the shard fox. And they say... We had two images of this beautiful female fox that we found on the internet. To me, they had all of the emotion that Ryan was wanting from this, and they became the guides for creature effects animatronic designer Luis Day and her team. They almost were like building in Lego. Hmm. We sculpted the fox as an undershape, and then Lou went in and chose 10,000 crystals, something in that region. They were... There were only 10 different sized crystals. It was almost like flower arranging. We looked at making the lips clear and crystalline and the teeth clear and crystalline, and all of that took away from the soul of the animal. You believe this has blood running through it because the tongue and mouth interior are real in color and in texture, so you begin to get this juxtaposition, this metamorphosis of two things, a living thing and the crystalline coat. And uh, I love that they talk about them. They're so pretty. Pretty foxes. Pretty crystal foxes. Yeah. Or yeah, they, they call them shard foxes. Shard foxes. Were they Volptex? Vulptec, I'm not. I refuse to call them by their normal name. You're just going to call them crystal foxes? They're crystal foxes. That's it. Yeah. 
My uh, so I took Quinn, my son, who's six years old, to see The Last Jedi, and um, he liked the crystal foxes, and he loved the porgs. Of course. And then on 244, this kind of blends in with that. It talks about the crevasses in their little crate cave. And they show, like, the whole mapping of the cave itself. You know, and, like, going Uh, in and, like, the mine and, like, the boulder cave and, like, how they got out and all that junk. Pretty cool. Yeah. I really just have one more and then just a comment. But the my last one is Paige about Paige um, and her death there was actually a story idea and this is on found on page 197 um, where originally the there was going to be another character on the bomber with her that was mm-hmm. going to have his helmet on the whole time and then when she dies it was going to be revealed that that character was Finn and that he had, he was actually you know part of the the, the resistance like um, pilots and stuff so no boo but the, right, and I, I I think ultimately they they changed the story and went the right direction. But the idea of this, where he, she was actually supposed to die, while he was there, he was going to be kind of having her like in his arms, and then there was going to be a callback to the Force Awakens where like she puts her hand up and like leaves like a bloody handprint on his chest, like above his heart, as opposed to like the face mask that happens in the Force Awakens. So I thought it was interesting, although ultimately good that they probably didn't go that direction with the story. I thought it was kind of a interesting story concept to have him be there at when she dies and have that call back to the Force Awakens. Um, so I was like, oh, interesting. It's cool, but no. <laughs> well, that's why you know they have these these ideas. They probably run through so many different possibilities, and then uh, you know we find out about a few of them in this book. But I'm sure there were you know so many more ideas that they came up with that never saw the light of day. Mm-hmm. And then the last thing I was just going to talk about, because we were were talking about how um, Han Solo's death was left out of the Force Awakens visual dictionary, or the Force Awakens art of book. Um, This book left out anything to do with Snoke's death and anything to do with Luke and uh, Kylo Ren on crate. So there's no concept art about any of that stuff. There's no crate anything, really. (laughs) So, yeah. So that'll be interesting to see when the next movie comes out and the next art of book, if they kind of bring that stuff into the intro of that book because I would love to see some concept art like Luke versus Kylo on Crate. Mm-hmm. Totally. All right. Well, the last one is The Last Jedi, The Visual Dictionary, published by DK. The author of this is the amazing Pablo Hidalgo, and it was released on December 15th of 2017. And the publisher's summary is, Star Wars The Last Jedi Visual Dictionary is the definitive guide to Star Wars The Last Jedi, revealing the characters, creatures, droids, locations, and technology from the new film. Packed with 100-plus images and information as pinned by Star Wars scribe Pablo Hidalgo, it's a must-have for all fans who want to go behind, be behind, also could work, but beyond the movie experience. All right. The one I thing I'm... I noticed right away with this book... Oh, gosh. What? <laughs> is the... <laughs> no, I'm just, I'm just going to talk about like the amount of pages. The This book is so thin compared to... Because uh, I was just looking at the Rogue One visual dictionary that Pablo did as well. And it's about three times the size of this one. Mm. So See, very... I don't have that one. I just have the Force Awakens one. Yeah. The, so for whatever reason, the Rogue One one, they, they you know 
did a lot more information, a lot more detail. This, I could this book, probably, they left out a lot of stuff. I think I know why. That was a story in and of itself. Those characters aren't coming back. They're all dead. So they can talk about every single little thing. And here they can't. True. Because there's another movie. And I think there was a lot of mystery with this movie and a lot of stuff they didn't want people to find out from something like a visual dictionary. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, they don't cover a lot of stuff, like we said, even in the art of book, like with Luke and with Snoke and all that stuff. So they have to leave out a lot of that stuff. So it made for a smaller book. Mm-hmm. All right. So I'll go with my first one, which you can probably guess what it is. Actually, I want to see if you know what my first one is. I don't know. I think I purposely skipped over stuff that I think thought you might do, but I I don't have a guess actually. Oh come on! I mean, I'm not going to just be obvious here and say something about the porgs. <laughs> it's going. We're doing this in order, weirdo. <laughs> okay, uh, Let me, it's going to be the the galaxy map. Yep. Is your first one? Yes. <laughs> I did skip I over love, that. <laughs> I love maps. <laughs> Maps are my favorite thing ever. So we have a picture of the galaxy, and we have planets added to it that were not here before. So this totally is, like, my thing, and I'm so jazzed to read about, like, Dakar and Octo and Katonica and Crate and, like, the backstory behind those planets and the Hosnian Cataclysm and everything. But even cooler, we see the the path traveled by the Resistance Fleet as well as the path traveled by Luke as he was going to Octo. And what's interesting is that Octo really is not that far away from Bespin, Hoth, and Endor. It's actually kind of out there in the unknown regions, uh, outer rim type of situation. But what I do think is very interesting for me is we can see where Kreta is, we can see Dakar, they're not very far apart, but Finn and Rose had to travel to Katonica, which is essentially on the complete other opposite side of the galaxy. Like, it's completely on the other side. It's further out than, like, Moraband and Felucia and Lothal, which are out in the middle of nowhere. It's completely further than that. And, like, somehow they managed to get back. Like, I don't get it. Yeah. I'm completely like, what? That's the only thing, no. yeah. I... Like, that, I have a problem with that. That's just too far, Right. I, yeah, I I agree. I don't know why. Because it's a new planet, why not just put it somewhere closer? You know, it's not like they had a established place for Cantonica already on the galaxy map. They could have put it anywhere, so it would have made a lot well, more sense if it was and close. And I also to... don't... I don't get how Crate, Dakar, Indoor, Dagobah, all of these things are further out than Jakku. How is that? Because they're talking about Jakku being, like, way out on the outer rim or whatever. It's not... It's like, it's so much closer to the core. It's like, it's like in the inner rim. <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> I guess it's technically in the... J- Jakku is, is in the inner oh, rim. It is in the inner, inner rim, yeah. It's in the inner rim, which just bothers me beyond all get out. It's not even in the mid rim. I don't, I I don't know. I don't I know. If, yeah, I, don't, I guess I never thought about it. I don't remember them ever referring to it as being remote more that just the planet itself is kind of like nothing there but the planet isn't i mean there's not a whole lot around it yeah well not at least not on this map but we know there's a lot of un there's a lot of planets that are just not being shown here the galaxy is very skewed to the right <laughs> just saying <laughs> For, yeah yeah so the cantonica thing though i agree with you it kind of the idea that they could jump literally across the entire galaxy and get back with you know 
I guess that's one of those things we kind of we got to give it a pass. You know, hyperspace travel. We just don't understand it. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So most of the things I have are really just small little things that I noticed um, that probably don't require a lot of commentary. But I thought my first one, I'm going to skip over the Raddus because we already talked about in the other book. Um, But I wanted to mention on page 19, um, because you do notice in one scene in the movie, like very obviously that Poe is wearing a necklace. Oh my God, I love this so much because he's my new boyfriend. That rings for me. Yeah, okay. So, um, <laughs> so I just like the call out here where he's wearing his mother's uh, ring in Shara Bay, who we've seen in you know the comics and stuff. Um, he's wearing her ring. And it does have the comment here, waiting to share it someday with the right partner. But um, so I guess, I guess Poe's a bit of a romantic, but it's... Oh, he is a romantic. He very much is. So I like that. I like that call out to kind of get a little bit more information about the significance of that necklace, because you do see it in the, in the film. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so my next one is page 22 and 23, and I'm back to Resistance Bombers again. Uh, but this is kind of about the bombs with the funny faces. <laughs> Also, Paige's medallion was something I wanted to point out here. Uh, And then just more information, kind of same stuff we got from Incredible Cross-Sections about the MG-100 Star Fortress, which is the Resistance Bomber. And we get a look at Paige's helmet, a closer-up look, uh, which is kind of cool. And then it has here, like you were talking about, bombs don't technically drop in microgravity but are impelled from their racks by sequenced electromagnetic plates in the clip. The bombs are then drawn magnetically to their unfortunate targets. Right. Yeah. So there, that's the explanation for all the haters. <laughs> they weren't falling through space. They were magnetically drawn. Right. So, All right. So I was going to talk about the bombs, but you, you got that one. Uh, so page 25, just a really quick thing I thought was interesting. Mm. So one of the pilots that we saw die in the movie, um, was J. Chris Tubbs, <laughs> which I thought was interesting because we have, you know, you have Porkins in the original movies where you're kind of like, oh, it's kind of rude. <laughs> you name a character that's a little heavier Porkins. And then they have a guy here who's a little heavier and they call him Tubbs. So <laughs> it's like... I guess that's a callback to the original trilogy, but still. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Poor Tubbs. He didn't make it. Poor, poor Tubbs. <laughs> On the same page, though, for everybody that's interested in Tally, she has, like, a whole section talking about her. And her name is Talison Lintra. Talison? Yeah. And she goes by Tally, and she's only 22. Yeah, that's sad. Sad she went the way she did. She was. A, she seemed like potentially a really cool character. I know. Maybe we'll I'm get so more about, about her that. in books and comics. Maybe. Okay, so my next one is page 42 and 43. And this is all about the Temple Island, and it shows like a map of the island and kind of where everything is. It shows like where the Jedi Temple is, the Tree Library, the Caretaker Village, the Mirror Cave... Where the Falcons parked, where's Luke, where Luke's X-Wing is, where Ray and Luke meet for the first time, the Jedi Village. You get a little bit of information about the Thala Sirens, which are the big, weird ocean creatures that have green milk, not blue. <laughs> uh, 
get a little tiny information about porgs and get to see porg chickies um, or porglets and the lanais, which are the caretakers. So you get sort of like this whole overview of the island, which I just think is awesome. Yeah, and a quick call out on that page. There's a, They talk about Luke learning to spearfish mm-hmm. on his time or during his time on Luel, which is from the Legends of Luke Skywalker book. There's a Where whole story. That? Where's that? Where is that? On page forty-five. Which... That's not the same page. Oh, I thought you said for you said forty-two and forty-three. Yeah. Well, it's the next page. Oh. On page forty-five, um, oh, there's a I little see, box yeah. with Luke kind of looking off to the side, and it says, "Learning to spear spearfish during his time on Luel," um, which there's a whole story in the Legends of Luke Skywalker on him. Uh, Trying to find uh, other Force users and people that know about uh, using the Force. And he finds this group that doesn't... They use the Force, but they call it something different. And um, he has to go through like these trials. And one of the things he has to do is learn how to spearfish with these like gigantic long spears. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Because when I saw it in the movie, I instantly remembered that part of the book. So that was a nice uh, legend... Or not legend, sorry. <laughs> canon book connection. Mm-hmm. All right, so my next one kind of continues on the same theme just because it really interests me, page 1551, which goes in-depth on the Lanais, who are the caretakers. Ah, yes. That was and you get all this those. information about, like, their clay chopping board and that their writing consists of cuneiform marks based on the shapes of their feet and that there is actually a caretaker matron, and she's kind of in charge of everything. And also... They have ladders built out of what look like fish backbones, the mm-hmm. vertebrae of fish. And then there's this kind of interesting tidbit. Males and females interact only on a monthly basis when the males return from the sea. Their boats laden with enough fish to feed the village until the next gathering. This multi-day reunion becomes a festival with music, dance, and food while long-term romances are rekindled. <laughs> yeah. This was actually one of the ones I was going to call out as well, because I thought was what was interesting is we get to see the whole other side of their culture in this book. Mm-hmm. Because in the movie, we only get to see the caretakers and kind of the nun-looking you know, alien species. And, and I know a lot of people even kind of believe that they were only females of the species. Mm-hmm. Um, so now on this, on page 51, you get the whole like male side and they all wear you know, much different looking clothing and you know like you said they come back once a month and they go out and fish and and so i thought that was interesting just to learn more about the culture of this species and uh, actually like some of the costumes they have for these these guys Mm -hmm. it says their language is a combination of spoken words and hand motions written language is rare and fire signals suffice for long-range communication okay your next one because i only have one more I think you've covered a couple of the ones I was going to do, but real quick call out on page 30. One of my favorite characters from the movie was Captain Kennedy. Mm. Kind of the old curmudgeon that <laughs> had to work with all the youngins and ended up dying. But um, I just like the Pablo Hidalgo call out where it says, worry lines publicly display private doubts. You know, the, <laughs> the call out to his, his facial features. <laughs> I thought that was a, a funny line, especially considering how the character is in the movie. All right. So my last one is page 68 and 69. I think you're going to see a theme here, Aaron. Okay. When you get there. I'm there. It's Captain Phasma. (laughs) 
<laughs> and looking at her armor some more. Uh, we get some information about how she actually got out of the trash compactor. So she used an anti-armor acidic compound to dissolve the door of the Starkiller trash compactor into which she was dumped. And they show some more in-depth of, like, her modified gauntlets and her hands. Um, they show more information about her her baton that she uses, which was, like, one of the coolest things ever, and her blaster. They also talk more about her about her helmet interface, that Phasma armor has custom modifications that give her an advantage in combat. Behind her helmet's tempered polarized lenses and is, is an upgraded integral multi-frequency targeting acquisition system. And it cuts through low light. Uh, just all kinds of cool stuff about her armor. Yeah. So, nice. Just like her armor a lot. <laughs> I like that in the movie they show... Oh, and they talk about her being from Parnassos. Yeah, I, I like how in the movie they show Rose take a shot at her and the and the uh, blaster bolt just bounces right off of her armor. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. Because I guess that's what would happen if you make your armor out of a ship's hull. Yeah, exactly. Imperial Yacht. The ship was a Naboo vessel once owned by the late Emperor Palpatine. See, they even put it in there. Yep. So, I mean, overall, like, I love the visual dictionaries. There is some stuff a little bit about Create, not a whole lot. Just very, very little. They do mention the Vulptex or the Crystal Flux. And they say about its fur, it developed as a defense mechanism. It's uh, kind of yes. cool. That does, I mean, that does make a lot of sense, actually. Mm. To protect from, like, salt storms or something, maybe? Yeah, um, probably. Which we actually get to see a salt storm in the, uh, the Crate comic that came out from Marvel. So, do you have any more? Uh, I had a few more. I'll just run through them real quick. Uh, on page... 45 they talk about luke's x-wing uh the wing of his x-wing actually is the door of his uh hut Mm -hmm. which i found very surprising because i know when they showed the x-wing kind of submerged in the water um i always thought that that was a possible way for him to get off the the island if he wanted to he could kind of do the whole like pull it out of the swamp like he did on dagobah and and use it but apparently no he had already ripped it apart and used the the wing of it as the door of his hut so there was no that 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 x-wing was going nowhere um he also wears a jedi crusader pendant which has a a sith lightsaber crystal on it which i thought was very interesting um, because we know that the the crystals are kind of attuned to the force so you know what kind of effect that might have on him to wear uh something from from a sith so like a Horcrux in Harry Potter? Yeah, right. Um, that was on page 47. And then on, yeah, that's pretty much it. Because I was going to say the caretakers, but you already covered that. So yeah, that's it. All right. So, of course, awesome books. All of these I thought were really mm. great. I think out of awesome. out of all these books, the cross-section ones typically aren't as interesting to me, although fun to flip through. But both the visual dictionary and the art of books are some of my favorite things that come out around these movies. So with with the Han Solo movie coming um, in May, we should have more of these coming. Yeah. The cross-sections, I agree, but that's just because it's just a taste thing. You and I just aren't super into all of the details about all the ships, but if you are, which I do know that there are lots of people who are, 
cross sections is great. You need to get it if you don't have it. The art of book is essentially the making of books, and that's kind of what we're getting now, rather than making of books. So if you want all those little nitty-gritty details, you need to invest in the art of book. And then I think everybody should have the visual dictionary like to refer back to it, especially once the movie comes out on DVD and stuff and Blu-ray so that you can reference stuff. You know, have it sitting right there and be like, oh, yeah, this, this, this. Yeah, it's usually the first thing I do after I see the movie. Mm-hmm. Like on opening night, I go the next day and pick up both the art of and visual dictionary. Those are like the first things I do. <laughs> All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this show. Uh, as far as what's coming up next, not quite sure, but we are definitely planning on recording another one this month. Um, possibly comics. Not sure. We yeah. don't know. Yeah. We, we don't have know. A couple, we have a couple options. We have some options. Uh, but until then, you can find us on Twitter. We are at SWBookRooms. If you want to send us an email about anything that you liked from any of these three books, please do. Hit StarWarsBookRooms at gmail.com and we'll read it on the show. We have a Facebook page. You can go to Facebook.com slash StarWarsBookRooms. And we also have a Facebook group. You can just look for StarWarsBookRooms. Find the group. And we also still have the Goodreads group going. We're actually getting close to 800 members on our Goodreads group. Woohoo! Goodreads. Um, but we we're doing a discussion on Legends of Luke Skywalker over there right now. So if anybody has read that book or interested in reading that book and want to jump into a discussion, go over to Goodreads and find our group. Uh, you can just search for Star Wars Book Rooms. Uh, we're also on iTunes. You can always leave us a review there. That would be much appreciated. You can find Teresa on Twitter and Instagram at Ice Cold Penguin. You can find me at Av Goins. So until next time, keep on reading and may the force be with you.